The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point of Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. Wherever you may be and however you may be listening to, we are streaming live on wvfs.fsu.edu and are also on air locally on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee, Florida. If you'd like to call into the show, feel free to dial us up at 850-644-3871. And as always, if you miss this show or any other future shows, you can always go back and listen to us on the Tomahawk Talk podcast, available anywhere you get your podcast at. This is your host, Gabe Tisness, and it's been a rainy, rainy, gloomy day in Tallahassee. So I hope everyone has a blanket and some coffee on the side because we have an exciting hour of sports to talk about with Super Bowl week upon us, the NFL coaching carousel in full swing, and of course, we're going to talk about the hospital that the FSU basketball team has become. First show of the month should be a great one, but before we get started, the number one thing that's been on my mind this weekend has been how good anime is. And yes, I know everyone's going to look at me weird for this, but two shows have been just incredibly good with Attack on Titan and Demon Slayer, and I can tell nobody on the station right now has a clue about what I'm talking about. Dog, you are alone on this hill I right am now. very much alone, but... I am on the right side of history because anime is top tier right now. But I can tell nobody wants to talk about that right now, so I'll, I'll introduce William. <laughs> William Haynes, my co-host, of course. How are you doing today? Doing good. It sounds like I have some shows to catch up on. Uh, I have some high praise from you there, but a uh, good week. Called a couple of baseball games over at TCC. The Eagles are 5-0 and to start the season. FSU baseball underway in a couple of weeks, so excited uh, to get some action back on the diamond as the football season comes to a close. Yeah, uh, baseball is upon us. It's almost it's almost that time of the year. Um, we also have our good friend Sebastian, our resident Bucks fan, who's here to say farewell to the Super Bowl title for uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Sebastian. Tampa Bay. Let's just Tampa throw that Bay. out there. Well, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if you want a eulogy or not. But uh, <laughs> in all in all seriousness, I, I'm. I'm happy that I got to experience one of the wildest two seasons, or two of the wildest seasons in Bucks history for something good for a change. Um, who knows? I, I don't think we're just back to the Bucks life yet, <laughs> uh, so don't count us out. I've been I've been great though. Otherwise, um, it's the All Star break in in hockey right now, and games will be sporadic through the next couple weeks because of um, a revised schedule um, in lieu of the Winter Olympics. Um, so I'm just uh, I'm taking it slow, easy. February is also the month where all the uh, Formula One liveries are all announced and revealed, and the new cars are shown off. Very exciting. Um, it's also around the time where Drive to Survive should be being teased. Ooh. If you're into that show, uh, so um, it's like a it's every week is a new Christmas basically for me, uh, the Formula One fan. So I'm I'm big chilling. I'm big chilling. I'm having, I'm I'm happy to be on. Uh, my itinerary for other shows that I'd watched, though, is a little booked right now, uh, so I, I, I might have to pass on the anime. <sighs> I see how it is. You know, I I try to bring good stuff into other no, people's lives. Diversify your bonds. It's important. <laughs> it I get it. It is important, and you're going to miss out, but that's your loss. And we have also Kylie on the show. Um, yeah, what's going on? You know, uh... I'm doing great. <laughs> Being that I'm from Jacksonville, we finally have a head coach. And, you know, I, I don't know if any of you guys have heard, but Tom Brady retired. So <laughs> I'm in great spirits on this Monday. Yeah, I we got to talk about that last time on the show, but it is official. Tom Brady has retired. Everyone can pop the champagne except for, obviously, Bucks fans. 
the NFL is free from the reign of terror of Thomas, Patrick, Edward, Bartholomew, Brady. Nailed it again. Nailed it again. Two weeks in a row. Sunset he rides. <laughs> I'm, I'm sad. Like, it's... So, for everybody on this panel right now, you were either not born the last time Tom Brady wasn't in this league, or you were an infant, basically, uh, like myself. Um, he is a fundamental, like, pillar in what is the NFL experience and has been for the past 22 years. Um, and just not have, having that in your league, uh, be it, like, as the greatest heel, the final boss of the NFL, or your champion in the ring, it's, a, it's going to mean that next year is truly, fundamentally a different experience. Um, and I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, it is, like, he is a magician at times with the way he, he orchestrates uh, drives in the last two minutes of the game. But that not being in the league anymore is just kind of like a, well, well now what? Where do we go from here? For a lot of teams, it's, you know, now our path is clear, but uh, you're well, going to miss it. I can tell you where we go from here. We go from Tom Brady to maybe Joe Burrow. And I'm not trying to put all the expectations on him, but he is in the Super Bowl after all, and that's what we're here to talk about. Super Bowl week is upon us, and we have an exciting matchup when the Cincinnati Bengals travel to SoFi Stadium to face the Rams, who will attempt to become the second team in NFL history to win it all at home after the Bucks did it last year. And the Bengals will be trying to win their first ever Super Bowl after losing twice to another AFC West team in the 49ers in the 80s. And before we talk any, any much more about this preview, forgot to shout out Scott in the booth who just came into the <laughs> into the panel to help us out with the the sound but yeah guys what are your first first thoughts on the game i mean it is a super bowl after all i know it's not maybe the the exciting matchup people were hoping for with the chiefs and the rams or, or the bucks and uh the chiefs <laughs> everyone everyone wanted the chiefs pretty much um but i think the bengals will still put up a pretty good fight yeah, I think, well, first of all, I really think it's a matchup that a lot of people want to see in a Super Bowl for the first time in a while where I think two fairly likable teams are, are in it. Cincinnati, obviously, more likable than the Rams, but uh, the Rams filled with superstars and really exciting. So uh, we'll get into kind of where, where we fall on, on who's going to win the game. But, uh, you know, the Rams, are, I think, are heavily favored by the public and, and by Vegas, but uh, the Bengals are America's team right now. <laughs> I mean, with Joe Burrow, it's kind of hard to argue otherwise, but... I do think that the Rams, you know, they're they have so many stars that it's kind of hard not to also root for them. Maybe if you're a Bucks fan, even if you're I, even as a Saints fan, I still have my hesitation over who I'm rooting for here because, you know, uh, everyone knows what happened. I'm not going to throw that once again on the show, but yeah, I mean, the Rams, the Bengals, they're very much two different franchises who have different philosophies on how to play the game, how how they got here. Particularly, I mean, the Rams, they they traded their house, they traded their future, um, and this is the second time they've managed to get to the Super Bowl. Hopefully, they can actually get it done this time. The Bengals, otherwise, they you know they were in the the dumpster fires of, of the the NFL, and and somehow they they managed to pull it all together. And I think the second year of Joe Burrow's tenure as a Cincinnati Bengal, and uh, Zach Taylor, he's he's been heavily criticized, but also now has been getting some much deserved praise. Sebastian, what do you think about? Um, the Bengals' philosophy and just how things are run over there in Cincinnati. Well, it's um, it's the makings of the next great connection in um, the NFL. Um, it's uh, Burrow to Chase um, because that offensive line is not doing Joey B any favors. He is the most sacked quarterback in the league uh, going into this game. 
which is interesting when you contrast it against Stafford's most intercepted uh, quarterback in the league. Um, but it really is just a um, you know system where, where Burrow chucks it down there and prays that Chase can find that connection. I mean, there's other assets on that team. I mean, um, what's his name? Higby? No, Higby's, uh, Higby's the Rams yeah. player. Um, what's their uh, tight end? DJ Uzama. Uzama. Yeah. Uzama uh, can make things work. Um, but apart from that, I, I I can't wax praises about um, that uh, Bengals offense, as effective as it's been, uh, because it, it feels like it has been quarterback orchestrated. Maybe that offensive coordinator has enabled his quarterback to really shine, but uh, we've seen that Joey B can, can shine in these big situations, like 2019's national championship, at a, a, series, or a, a, a game so electrifying when it came to the offense. Granted, that is what happens when you have Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson on the same team. Um, I'm just, I'm ready for a show. I, I think you will see just fireworks. It, 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 if it's not, um, you know, an over-quickly affair where the Rams defense sets the tone basically immediately within the first five minutes of the game, and the score is like 9-0 uh, at the end of the half, um, I really do think we could see just a complete and total shootout in the dying stretches of the game. Kylie? Joe Burrow or bust, isn't it? Is that, isn't that right? I mean, I have to admit, uh, I was kind of hoping to see the 49ers in this Super Bowl just because it, you know, took three games for the Rams to finally show up, essentially. But uh, it's I, I agree with Sebastian that we're going to definitely see a show, especially with Cooper Cup averaging 114.5 receiving yards per game. I mean, but at the same time... I don't want to bet against Joe Burrow. Like, I don't think anybody does. I, yeah, I, I think we're going to see a really big show out, and I just think it's cool. Like I was saying earlier when we were planning and stuff, I think it, that from a journalism angle, it's really cool to see a working-class city competing against a city like Los Angeles. So Yeah, it's, it's a really cool take. I think we always see interesting matchups in the Super Bowl. But when we look at the, the X's and O's and what's actually ha- going to happen on the field, we have the Cincinnati offense against the L.A. Ram defense. And we obviously know about Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, but, William, how else does the, the Bengal offense stack up against the, the Rams defense? We, we know that Jamar Chase is going to be on Ramsey for the most of the night, at least we think. But there's other stars on that Cincinnati offense, like Tyler Boyd, C.J. Uz- Uzama, who Sebastian was talking about, he got injured with an MCL injury over um, the AFC Championship game. He says he will play, uh, at least as of today. Um, and, of course, Joe Mixon in the running game, he's going to be really, really key, uh, hoping to take some of the, the load off Joe Burrow's shoulders. So how do you see that playing out? I think it's a bit of a, of a, a strength on weakness for Cincinnati. Their offensive line is, is one of the worst in the NFL. Sebastian mentioned Joe Burrow being the most highly sat quarterback in the NFL this season. And meanwhile, on the other side of the ball, the Rams have one of the fiercest front sevens in the NFL. Vaughn Miller on one side, Leonard Floyd on the other, and then, of course, Aaron Donald coming up the middle. All three of those guys are essentially impossible to stop, not to mention when you have pretty much the dead last line in the league. I thought the Bengals did a little bit better job last week against Kansas City, having some tight ends and running backs chip some of those pass rushers. Um, but it's it's really going to be tough. I think that's that's where a lot of people come down on, on this game. If you're, you're thinking the Rams are going to come out on top is 
It's just going to be really, really hard for the Bengals with that offensive line to block the guys up front. The Rams also have one of the best run defenses in the league. So Joe Mixon and that that running attack that you mentioned that um, even when it wasn't working early in the first half, Zach Taylor and that Bengals offense stuck with it. If they do that again in the Super Bowl, it may not work out if Mixon is running for two yards of carry. They may have to abandon the run game at some point. And when you're in that spot and Von Miller and those guys are able to pin their ears back and get after the quarterback, if you're going to have another situation where Burrow's put on the on the turf nine times, you're going to have a really hard time winning that football game. I, I cannot imagine the Bengals winning if, if the total sacks for the Rams is anywhere above four or five. Joe Burrow did some things against Kansas City that I didn't expect many players were able to do with how he got out of sacks. Um, I mean, he was also sacked four or five times in that Kansas City game. Both of them, I yeah, think. Yeah, he, he's been running for his life for most yeah. of the season and, and most of his time in Cincinnati. Which is one of my concerns for this game. I'm, I'm leaning Rams. Uh, we'll get to predictions later on the show. But, yeah, as far as the Cincinnati offense against the Bengals, or Cincinnati offense against the Rams defense, I do think that it's going to be it's gonna be neck and neck. Uh, but it, it, the, the games are won in the trenches. I think we all know this. And defense does win championships. But I also know that quarterbacks in today's NFL are just as important as anything else in, in, when it comes to X's and O's. And while the Matthew Stafford-Joe Burrow comparison is not a really big one to make, I do think that Joe Burrow comes in to this game with a little bit more hype, a little bit more rhythm. Um, Matthew Stafford hasn't had the worst of seasons, but like Sebastian was mentioning, he's thrown an awful lot of interceptions. And yes, it is his first year under that Sean McVay offense, but this is... The first, and it's 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 interesting. <laughs> it's interesting that Joe Burrow and Matthew Stafford come into this game never having won a playoff game before the playoffs started. So both quarterbacks are very much fresh to the playoffs, very much to fresh to to February football. I just I just think that Joe Burrow comes into this game as the better quarterback. What say you, Sebastian? I actually, um, I don't think they're comparable in that sense. You you've made a great argument for them being so. Um, but I, I, I just don't think you've got like an established quarterback that uh, is more uh, secure in the pocket with uh, with Stafford, and you've got kind of that that ace in the hole with Burrow. But I, I don't. I think we're focusing on the wrong things personally. Uh, I really do think that uh, the crux of this will be on um, Cincinnati's defense. I'm not saying you have to match blow for blow um, what the Rams do. Um, on, with their defense, but you just have to be good enough. Um, the NFC this year and um, Stafford's pool of competition um, varied wildly. I mean, you had teams like the uh, teams like the Lions make him sweat um, on both sides of the ball when it came to the Rams. Uh, that game was one of my action sleeper games of the year, just because of how utterly insane the play calling was for the first three quarters by the Lions with. Um, fakes, onside kicks, just general insanity. And um, talent as good as the Buccaneers and the uh, and the Divisional and the uh, the Niners and the, the Conference Championship. And he's looked competent enough against most of that competition. But if you can get to him early with with picks, I think it's a different game. When it comes to, to Bro's side of the game, we know that um, he's gotten sacked a lot. And he's still thrown for incredible yields in spite of that. I once again point again I once again point to the regular season matchup against 
uh, Kansas City, where he threw for over 400 yards while being sacked five times. That's it, it's almost like a it doesn't matter if going, if I'm going to take the sack. It's just another loss of down. Um, I can make it work in spite of that. I have no idea. I, I usually am the guy that goes, oh, I'll defer because I have a team that I like more. I just genuinely have no idea how this game is going to go. I think chalk is a safe bet if you're betting. Um, maybe bet the points, in all honesty. Um, but I I have no clue what I'm what I'm expecting here. And I, and, and I think that's partially my fault because I haven't watched enough Bengals <laughs> tape to really have like a say other than the really sexy highlights that you see every now and then. There's plenty of those to go around with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. But I do think that, that how Joe Burrow connects with Tyler Boyd and uh, the rest of the crew there is really going to have a huge difference because I don't think they're going to win it in the ground game like we talked about. I think this is a game that Joe Burrow needs to win in the air. That doesn't mean he has to throw more than 50 passes, Hope uh, you would think. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't see how Cincinnati – is, is in control for most of the game. And it, might, it may just be a back-and-forth game, but I do see a scenario where the Rams take an early lead, kind of like the Chiefs did, but they actually know what Joe Burrow is capable of, and they don't actually squander it. Um, which brings me to the next point. Kylie, how do you see the, the, the coaching staff matching up with one another? Because Zach Taylor is the protege of, of, of what Sean McVay is in the NFL today. Everyone's been looking for the next Sean McVay, the, the young offensive coach and Zach Taylor's done things in Cincinnati <laughs> we're not quite sure how much influence he has he has brought upon himself because of how great Joe Burrow is and, and the rest of the signings that they have made um, but obviously Sean McVay has made his case as one of the best coaches in the NFL today so how do you think that how do you think that coaching matchup is going to play out on Sunday Absolutely, and like you're saying, uh, Matthew Stafford adjusting to Sean McVay's offense. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see how it's going to compare. We have seen Sean McVay in Super Bowls more recently, obviously. uh, Last appearance that we have for the Bengals, 1988. So, I mean, I'd always err on the side of the scarier devil is the devil you don't know. Um, we on it like we can't really anticipate what exactly is going to happen in the Super Bowl. So, I mean, I, I'm honestly I'm excited to see them compare. I'm obviously like always gonna root for the underdog here and hope that we just see something new and something fresh from the Bengals. It's a really interesting story for Zach Taylor. So he started off. He's actually the son-in-law, a former Packers coach. Mike Sherman, and, and he spent some time under Sherman's staff in the early 2000s when Brett Favre was putting up those MVP numbers. He bounces around. He was involved with Ryan Tannehill's development in Miami, and then he spent, as as a lot of people are mentioning, two or three years under Sean McVay's staff. And it's, you know, the, the master versus protege. Zach Taylor's two years older than no Sean way. McVay. Taylor's uh. 38, and McVay is 36. And something I also wanted to mention, just because with the hirings, it just gets crazier and crazier and crazier as far as those those former Washington coaches. So in 2013, the offensive coaching staff for Washington, the offensive coordinator, Kyle Shanahan, the quarterback coach was Matt LaFleur, uh, t- the tight ends coach was Sean McVay, and now Mike McDaniels, the wide receiver coach. So it's like this, this tree that's been sprouting out all over the place in the last three or four years, and Zach Taylor is one of those. And I think one final point to add about Taylor is 
especially nowadays, the head coaches are in, you basically get two years to figure things out, and if you can't, you're out of the door. Well, Taylor went 2-14 and 14 in his first year. They get the number one overall pick, and he goes 4-11-1 with Burrow in his second year. And there was a lot of heat on Taylor. They could have cut ties, but they give him that third year. They show some patience, and I think he's absolutely figured some things out. I mean, he's, he's headed to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and that's what people in Miami are kind of thinking right now with Ryan Flores. But obviously, we're not here to talk about <laughs> what's going on in Miami. We can always talk about what's going on in Miami. Soon. Soon, soon. But the Super Bowl preview, once again, I mean, the Rams are favored by four. I don't think that's a huge number in and of itself, but with how Cincinnati has looked, I think they're they're embracing the underdog mentality, and, and that might end up, you know, costing some people <laughs> in terms of their money because, I don't know, I... If we're, if we're talking about money, that, that does remind me of one very important uh, prop bet. That happens every year. The Gatorade. What color is the Gatorade? Yep, that's a good one. What do we think? It's got to be orange. I don't it's know. Be orange. <laughs> I'm going orange as well. Yeah, especially if Cincinnati comes out on top, it's got to be orange. That'd be a I'm, good look. I'm actually leaning towards like you know the glacier blue, like the really light blue one. <laughs> that's what my money's on. Kylie, this is important. I'm, I mean, I'm gonna go orange. Mm. Uh, it just makes sense. That's that's my airtight reasoning. What so, color was it last year? It was green, right? Green? I think it was. I it, was it wasn't a Bucks. Color. Bucks fans should know. Right? It wasn't a Bucks. I, sh- color. I should know. I really should be ashamed that I don't know the color of the Gatorade bath. On, it was on not. The it was definitely not red. I think it was, it was not red. red. Anyway. Anyway, sorry. Getting back on track. <laughs> I it, it was blue. Apparently, no no oh. on Twitter's helping us out. Yeah, I I think the Rams are gonna get it done. Um, Matthew Stafford has been waiting for this moment for a long, long time. And Joe Burrow is looking like the bright, bright future of the NFL. But this might just be Matthew Stafford's moment. He does have the better roster. He has the better coach. He's playing at home. He has the experience. There's nothing he can argue because Matthew Stafford has argued all his time that he's played in Detroit and he doesn't have people around him that he needs. But I think this is his moment. And with Cooper Cup, of all people, I I, I just I don't see how the Bengals are going to be able to stop him. Um... I believe nice to have a non-final or a, a non-quarterback uh, Super Bowl MVP, and I think Cups are best shot to see that. Happen. Von Miller's a sneaky peek as well. I can yeah. see him destroying a this former game Super up. Bowl MVP as well. Um, nobody likes Evan McPherson, <laughs> the kicker for goat. Cincinnati. The goat. <laughs> Special teams will always play a part. So, um, yeah, I'm not really sure how it's going to play a part right now, but I'm sure when we look back, there'll be some important kicks. Kylie. I I just love how that's paid off for them. I love that they can now say, "Hey, that's why you draft a kicker." Like I I just love that that's paid off in that regard. People hate the drafting of the kickers and punters, but it seems like gee, I wonder, it works William, out. why why we hate drafting kickers? Please remind me. Tampa knows a thing I, or two I about that. I do not. I could not possibly fathom why would you would not allocate such a resource towards a quality kicker like Roberto Aguayo. I believe both of the kickers in, in this game are what, former second or third round picks? So both teams that, the Rams didn't draft uh, Matt Gay, but he was drafted highly by the Bucks. So it is kind of interesting that both teams in the Super Bowl have two of the top kickers in the NFL. Like as Gabe said, special teams and we learned with the Packers. <laughs> it really does make a difference. I mean last year uh, Mr. Irrelevant went perfect during the playoff run, and he won, um, which was uh, Suckup. Suckup was uh, the last pick in the NFL draft whenever he uh, declared, and he was a uh, Super Bowl champion because of it. So, William, what do you got? Who, who's winning it all? I'm going to take the Rams. 
And and if we're you know borrowing the pizza picks from from Brett Rutherford, a former V89 um, member, I I, w- I would take the Rams to cover that four and a half, and then I would take the under on the on the 48 and a half. I think uh, these kind of big games are lower scoring than people think. There's a lot of microcosms you could boil this game down to. You know, if this happens, you know, Team X is going to win. I think. Um, the Rams potentially dominating Cincinnati up front is one of them. But you you touched on it a little bit, the, the difference between these quarterbacks. Joe Burrow has absolutely had ice in his veins his entire football career. And then meanwhile, on the other side with Matthew Stafford, I know he led the NFL in fourth quarter comebacks in his time with the Lions, but there, there was times with the Rams late in games where he was blowing, blowing games with, with bad interceptions. I think back to that week three game, um, that, that first real big home environment for the Rams in SoFi against the Bucks, and, it, and you could you could see it in his eyes that 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 environment was getting to him a little bit. You know, playing all those years in Detroit, he's not used to those bright lights on him. And this is the brightest of lights in, the, in Super Bowl 56. So that that's potentially an X factor. If Matthew Stafford is missing some throws early, as every quarterback does in their first career Super Bowl, you see that every year, every time it happens. And, and Joe Burrow is just on his game. You know, maybe, maybe Cincinnati takes the game by storm. But I, I like the Rams to, to, to take control of this game and own it. Um, you know, they, they force Cincinnati to, to go to the pass and then uh, the, those defensive backs do what they do and, and keep the game um, in the Rams' favor. I have to be honest. Last year I was calling the Chiefs winning easily because of the, the home factor with the Bucks. No home team obviously had won it before them. But I will say in this case, the fans will be in attendance, not like last year. So it is curious to see how that will play out as well. But for me, it has to be the Rams. Uh, I think I'll... I might have to bite the bullet with the minus four, but I'm not really interested in gambling, <laughs> not condoning it whatsoever. I do think it's really fun, but I do think the Rams get it done. Um, simply put, they have the better team. They have the coaching advantage. <sighs> might look like a fool when we go back on Monday next next week, but the Rams, they've been waiting for this moment for a while, and Cincinnati obviously has waited all their, their franchises' existence as well, but it simply seems like the the Super Bowl matchup made for the Rams to win it. You know, they're not facing the the Patrick Mahomes let Chiefs or or anything like that. So that's just where I'm at right now with it. But what do you guys think? Uh, I think it's interesting that you bring up the fans being in attendance, especially with the whole debacle with StubHub and Ticketmaster and only selling tickets to the zip code of uh, Los Angeles residents for the 49ers game um, until that following Monday. Uh, But I'm, per usual, I'm going to go against the grain. I'm going to say that the Bengals are going to get it done because as Will was kind of saying, if if, um, the Rams get off to a slow start if we see Matthew Stafford throwing interceptions early in the game I just I just see Joe Burrow probably being on in this game he has been for the last several and I I kind of see Cincinnati taking it by storm by storm yes is that gonna be I I, I kind of said taking it by storm because it sounded great in the moment <laughs> um I I think it will be a very close game I don't think it'll be a spread of four I think I think it's gonna be neck and neck probably like maybe even like a one to two point spread that's that's what I'm gonna go with there there you go Sebastian uh give me Rams by six 17 23 okay yeah, we were talking before the show, and, and Jack Oliaro, who will be in Seminole segment in just a second, was talking about it might just be a game where neither team gets above 20, which would be really interesting because I don't think we've had that in a while, obviously, outside of the Patriots-Rams one. Um, last year. 
last year? 31-9. Oh, 31-9. There you go. But one team did get over 20. <laughs> but I do think it'll be a tight matchup as well. I think you're looking somewhere in the 28-24, 28-23. So I'll go with 28-24. William? I'll take the Rams 20, 21-17. 21-17. It's a good number. Kylie, rounding out the panel. Uh, <laughs> maybe 21-23. I, I think it's going to be I lower need, scoring than people think. Because it seems like, you know, it, in a Super Bowl like it's that. It's a Super Bowl. It can't be a shootout. Right. And when you have an elite defense on one side of the ball, it's it's not going to be a shootout. Uh, let's not kid ourselves. Maybe there's high volume yardage on both sides of the ball, but I, I don't think that those yards get converted because that's where, you know, goal line stands happen. Um that's where defense has really stepped up because it's the last time you need to step up. There's only one game. There's no tomorrow. There's no tomorrow after Sunday. This is why you, you bet go. the Gatorade. Yeah. <laughs> this is why you yeah. Gatorade parlay. It's the it's the true betters. Yeah, this, this I'm, true. I'm glad that my income is not dependent upon sports betting because this this is just way too high stakes anxiety. Nope. Really hard to predict too. It's it's tough to get a, a really nice read on this game with how up and down both teams can be. Yeah, it's once again Tom Brady's not going to be in it, so I wonder how that'll affect a lot of things. Just but. love rubbing that in my face, Gabe. <laughs> you keep bringing it up. <laughs> All right, you've been listening to WFS.Hasi. This is the voice of Florida State. What's good, everyone? I am Jack Lear here for the first seminal segment in a very, very long time. So without further ado, let's go down to the tennis courts where the 16th-ranked Florida State women's tennis team looked like they'd have a great rematch in Lake Node against the 11th-ranked Florida Gators, who got the better of the Knolls just last Sunday. The doubles competition went poorly for the Knolls, who lost the first two matches with a 6-2 score in each, giving the first point to the Gators, who then went 1-3 in the singles competition. Australian Petra Huell is the only seminal winner on the day. They fall to 4-2 and two on the season, but have a quick turnaround with UNF coming up to Tallahassee tomorrow at 11.30, then playing Madison, Wisconsin at the ITA Indoor Nationals on Thursday. The men suffered a similar fate. They had just lost to third-ranked Florida men's team in Gainesville one four-week prior and had their shot to peg them back. The match started brightly as they won the doubles round with a 2-1 victory. Pairs Loris Peroy and Sebastian Arcilla won their game along with Josh Karpenschiff and Max Salagi. The singles competition did not go as well as Florida won all their singles matches to take another win from the Knolls but FSU will play again here at home Friday against UCF. Staying in sneakers but switching courts, we move to FSU women's basketball as they faced a monster week with a trip to number 3 North Carolina State, then at home to face the 20th-ranked Notre Dame team. The Knowles couldn't pull off the upset and fell to the Wolfpack 48-68 away, but a big test to defend home court against the Irish, and they did just that. A huge win for the Knowles, notching Coach Sue Semerau's 51st victory in top 25 play. It was the usual suspects as Valencia Myers had herself a day, leading the team with 14 points and 8 rebounds, while Morgan Jones put up 10 points and 3 rebounds of her own. The game was back and forth as the Irish had a big lead towards the end of the first quarter, while FSU had a double-digit lead with 8 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. But the Knoll bench is what made a huge difference as they put up 23 points compared to Notre Dame 6. Uh, this win will start a crucial stretch for them as they see a Duke side who isn't ranked but had votes to be there and a Miami side who defeated them in the tuck last month. All of those games will be away and with only a month left of the regular season play and a 5-6 and six conference record, it's the fourth quarter of the season and they need to end well if they want to make the NCAA tournament. But that's all for me today. Gabe and Will, take it back now, y'all.
and we're back for the second half of Tomahawk Talk. This is your host, Gabe Tisnes, and we just finished talking about the Super Bowl preview, but the world of news in the NFL is not just about what's going on on Sunday. It's going on what's 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 going on <laughs> throughout the whole week, um, and some of the things that have been happening have been coaching, coaching carousel, going full swing, um, <laughs> literally before the show. The Saints, my team, they hired their defensive coordinator, Dennis Allen, upgrading him to head coach, keeping him in the building for a little bit longer in New Orleans. And that's not been the only hire, as we've seen plenty of others, including, um, I believe, the Broncos with Nathaniel Hackett, the Bears with Matt Eberflus. 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 <laughs> the Giants with Brian Dable. The Raiders with Josh McDaniels. The Vikings with Kevin O'Connell. The Jaguars with Doug Peterson. The Dolphins with Mike McDaniel, the Texans from Lovey Smith, and that's it for now. But yeah, it's been. I, I don't remember if there's been a coaching carousel that's been this long. A third it's, of the league turned over. Yeah. Nine out of thirty-two with new coaches. So once again, Tom Brady leaving. You know, third of the league, changing coaches. <laughs> it is really an interesting time to be a team in the NFL. Um, Kylie, we have to go to you first, of course, with Doug Peterson, Dougie P, former Eagles Super Bowl champion. He's now in, in Duval with Trevor Lawrence. How do you see this playing out? What are your what are your gut reactions? I'm not gonna lie, I'm I'm excited. Um, I know that the desired hire was left which and that that was kind of botched. Not even kind of that. Yeah, that was bad. But um, I have to say I'm excited, especially after listening to Trevor Lawrence's interview at, right after meeting Coach. Uh, he kind of explained that when. He was a freshman at Clemson. Uh, Doug Peterson, after winning uh, that Super Bowl, came and talked to the Clemson Tigers and basically like gave some motivation to them. And I think it's really cool that they have that connection that Dabo Swinney said, hey, watch out for this guy. He's going to be a big player one day. And here he is starting for the Jacksonville Jaguars and Doug Peterson's there as our coach. I, On a morale factor, I think it's going to be great for Lawrence. And I think that we're going to hopefully see something change i yeah we need all the help we can get i mean there's no doubt about that bringing that kind of experience from wp seems like the right move seems like they're they're trying to go for that winning culture but at the same time it's just really difficult with the the gm the 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 whole culture already there it might just take somebody really special and i'm not really sure if wp is the man but hey you gotta you gotta look at it this way the connection that he's going to build with Trevor Lawrence is really, is really going to be what people are going to look at because Trevor Lawrence is the franchise. It is very much not Dougie P for the time being, at least now. Yeah, I think Doug Peterson puts the Jaguars back on the map in a more legitimized way rather than the flash that you had with Urban Meyer. He's got the pedigree with the Super Bowl championship, so um, hopefully can get Jacksonville back to where they were just a, a few short seasons ago. Um, they basically had Byron Leftwich in their back pocket. If if Trent Balky was out of the picture, it was pretty clear that Leftwich was willing to go there. As a Bucks fan that that has watched him closer than most, I, I'm not as high on him as as many are. So I'm not going to say necessarily dodged a bullet, but um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if if Peterson ends up being the better guy for them. Sebastian, what's been the coaching hire that's you know impacted you the most or, or kind of caught your eye? I honestly, I. I still maintain. Well, there, there's two, but they're both whiffs, unfortunately. Um, I, I, I do think that this Doug Peterson hire is kind of a whiff. I would have loved to see Byron Leftwich get 
um, get that nod personally. But it's it was clear from the beginning, from what we heard from um, writers online, that um, uh, Leftwich and Balky would would not work. Uh, Balky clearly hasn't worked. He he set um, San Francisco back like three years uh, when he was with them, and uh, he has uh, very clearly mismanaged. Um, Jacksonville. I don't know if he was in charge back in 2017. If he did, that's a massive outlier. It remains a massive outlier because they stunk in 15, stunk in 16, were amazing in 17, and then stunk in 18. Um, I, uh, Kylie, I know you all dressed up as clowns in week 17 to try and get this guy canned, and you almost did. But the fact that they didn't clean house uh, after the Urban Meyer disaster, I, I, I'm still scratching my head about that. Um, if, a, if a Super Bowl champion uh, offensive coordinator is coming in and is like, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm down to rebuild this organization and, and make it something actually worthwhile with a stud quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, uh, but this guy can't be in the building, and you look at him and go, you know what, I'm going to take what hasn't worked over somebody like Brian, Byron Leftwich. I don't know how you do that. Um, again, like Doug, if, if your answer is Dougie P., then um, Balky's Balky's still there, and that's a massive roadblock. If if a guy wants to move in a direction, and your GM is going to be in the way, nothing's ever going to get done. And I really do think that that's what what's going to happen in Jacksonville here. Um, it might, you know, uh, Doug Peterson said that he knows that it's not an overnight championship team, but he knows that he he's willing to put in the work um, to get it there. Uh, but I honestly don't think that that combination is going to to pan out in the immediate short term. Now, the other um, coaching pick that I really didn't like was Lovey Smith. Uh, Lovey Smith, uh, to me personally, was the guy who took the Bucks from uh, two and fourteen to six and ten uh, back in the early uh, decade of the twenty tens. Uh, if I don't have my timeline, twenty fourteen and twenty fifteen. Twenty fourteen and fifteen. Um, you know, that's a three hundred percent improvement. Oh wow! But he still he stunk in his first year and he stunk in his second year. Probably wasn't his uh, problem either because um, I don't know who the GM was at the time, but he also stunk. Um, um, but I completely forgot about his tenure down in or up in Chicago, and I definitely just black holed him from my memory the second that he went back to college ball. Um, William, I know you have more to add to this, but I think he's I. Houston's got a lot of issues, and it just isn't at the coaching position. But uh, what do you think? About it that? really shouldn't be to anyone's surprise that this Houston organization totally blew it again. I think if this was the move that that they had that they were looking at, you would have been much better off hiring or retaining David Coley. I think we can all agree that there was no reason for him to be fired after one year. He should have had more time. He, got he had good momentum. He got Abs- Absolutely, he was. I don't want to get too deep into that, but it seemed like he was pretty much set up from the start to be a one-year guy to kind of carry them from all the stuff that's been going on. But for Lovey Smith, I think a lot of people are still living in the past with him. Yes, he, he took the Chicago Bears with Rex, Rex Grossman uh, to the Super Bowl against the Colts in, in the, the late 2000s, but his, he's running a dinosaur defense. When he went, when he took the Bears to the Super Bowl, he was running that kind of Tampa 2 that was still being passed around. At this point, pretty much every modern NFL offense is built to absolutely shred the Tampa 2. So that's what you want to take into 2022. I just, I don't understand it. He's been left in the past. Um, There were so many other candidates out there that they could have gone with. I I really think Houston absolutely botched that one. Kylie, I know you had something to say. 
I just felt the need to <laughs> publicly declare that I do not agree with keeping bulky. I'm not by me saying that I'm excited about Doug Peterson. It's it's mainly just optimism because that's what we got. That's what we got to go with. Obviously, all right. All like, right. What's interesting? The job about, is only half done. Right. Then what's interesting about that when when Balky was in San Francisco with Jim Harbaugh, Harbaugh ended up getting pushed out in a power struggle, and in Philadelphia, Howie Roseman, the president and general manager there, is well known for a guy that that is a bit power hungry himself. So, uh, and, and Doug Peterson butted heads with him. So now you've got Doug Doug Peterson and Trent Balky, two really power hungry guys that want a lot of control. And they're going to be forced to work together. They're they're not tied together at all. Balky had, had been there, and you bring in Peterson, so um, things could go awry there. That that is definitely something to keep an eye on. For me, it has to be Josh McDaniels with the Raiders because everyone knows what happened with John Gruden. We have to get into that. It's another episode of they they prune the the Patriot tree, and it it produces uh, crap. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see with the L.A. Raiders because. Derek Carr sticking around. He's not going anywhere, at least that's what we, we believe as of, as of now. With Josh McDaniels coming in, the offense is expected to improve dramatically, I think. And with Josh Jacobs and, and the rest of the crew there, I'm not really sure if those expectations can be met. But we also saw Josh McDaniels leave New England for a little bit, I believe in Denver, and we didn't see much success there. So it might just be, once again, the Patriot way not really being able to translate uh, especially in, in the city, the Sin City of, of all cities. Um, but then you look at the Dolphins with Mike McDaniel going after another offensive coordinator, this time the 49ers. And I've heard a lot of good things about this man, so you know there's only, there's only one way to find out if he's actually good or not for the job, but a lot of people obviously are, are still mourning the, the, the departure of Brian Flores. Do you think that this hiring will be able to appeal some fans in Miami, I will. I think I think some people are excited about it. I think it really is an extreme case of, of hit or miss. I know there was a lot of momentum this year, his first year being a coordinator as, as the OC in San Francisco. But the thing is, I mean, he's up up in the booth calling Kyle Shanahan's plays. I mean, uh, I just – I don't think that, that zone run scheme that, that, that Shanahan tree is known for, I don't think – the, the Miami Dolphins have a good personnel fit for that. So are you telling me that, that on the fly he's just going to make up a new offense that that fits what the Dolphins do? At least in, in year one, I don't think they have the personnel really for, for where he comes from. So fit-wise, it's a little interesting, but he's a rising star. And I think for, for a Dolphins organization that needed a splash, maybe to get back in some good headlines as much as that could even be possible, uh, I, th- I think that was maybe the thought process there. Uh, can Jalen Waddle run like Debo? Do we know that for sure? Can can someone confirm that, please? I don't uh, think most people can run like Debo, yeah. so I don't think. Well, yeah. his main pull with the Miami defense, or sorry, with the Miami fan base, excuse me, um, is that he's a numbers guy, a nerd. Uh, you know, uh, maybe a guy who can um, bring the Dolphins into the 21st century. Um, gives me the same hesitations that I have about uh, Staley over in uh, L.A. LA. Um, but we'll we'll see. I mean that that Shanahan tree has been gold um, from from the jump basically. So um, why not take another chance on a on a guy that clearly has impressed um, executives around the league and both within the um, the Niners core. Um, I'm willing to give him a shot, but um, I can see this going wrong again. Who knows? I mean that it's the least of their problems. Uh, going. Can't canning your head cut. I don't know. 
Dude, I'm just gonna back. I'm gonna raise my <laughs> hands and back away slowly from Miami because I I got no clue what's going on. Yeah, I think it's really dramatic with with the coaching hires because a lot is made about who these people are going into the the the, the places where they're being hired into. But you know, there's a lot to be said about the franchise itself. We know what what happened in Cleveland with Stefanski, uh, how he kind of turned things around. But you know, it's still Cleveland, and we know what what Zach Taylor is doing with the Cincinnati Bengals right now. But when you look at the Vikings, when you have a chance to hire somebody like Jim Harbaugh, I think it does say a lot about who they are. And, you know, hiring Kevin O'Connell, you have to give him a shot. But I think they missed out on an opportunity to hire somebody who's proven his worth in the NFL and who's riding a pretty good high in Michigan. But, William, what do you, who, what do you think is the, the, the coaching vacancy that, that was not really kept up with? properly well i'll talk about the vikings first because that's kind of who you brought up and and i i know the the instant reaction for a lot of people was well if you're minnesota how do you let jim harbaugh slip through your fingers but when you look a little deeper into how that that hiring process went through um the word was that jim harbaugh was completely out of michigan he was committed to being an nfl coach returning with the minnesota vikings and he was so sure and again this is all allegedly speculation he was so sure that he had that job in his back pocket that he really didn't prepare for the interview. He really didn't impress anyone with that Vikings offense, or that front office. And meanwhile, Kevin O'Connell comes in and he's blowing blowing the the executives away. He's got uh, he's running them through the board, all the players, and and how he he views the personnel and and what his his vision is for the future with the Vikings. So a guy in O'Connell that actually impressed in his interview process ends up getting the job. A little bit of history on him. He was drafted by the Patriots in 2008 to be an eventual replacement for Tom Brady. So he's certainly been a quick riser. And I know kind of that that's been the discussion with Mike McDaniel in Miami as well. So I, those guys definitely can be hit and miss, but O'Connell, I think is off to a nice start. He's, it sounds like he's got a vision uh, for, for what can go on over there. And when, when Mike Zimmer got fired and the discussion around that was, I mean, there's, there's too many players on that offense to be wasting away I think with the, the defensive uh, kind of in the past minded head coach so you have a guy in, in O'Connell that can take advantage of all those weapons that you have and I think can unlock maybe some some missing potential that that's been not taken advantage of for the Vikings so Kirk Cousins MVP 2022-2023 is that what we're campaigning now for wouldn't go that far but I think you're going to see you know Dalvin Cook be used much better and and all those wide receivers that the Vikings have as well they should be putting up 25 30 points a game with with that personnel I mean you, you can only hope he stays healthy that's the, the number one thing I think for for Minnesota right now but but yes they 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 should they should have a bright future if they seem to take care of the, the assets they have right there and there but we have to talk about the Saints of course with Dennis Allen there's not much to talk about but I do think it speaks to what the Saints are looking at for their future because a lot of it has been made about Sean Payne of course leaving in an, in an unexpected way of sorts obviously Drew Brees is no longer there and you know Jameis Winston's, Jameis Winston's future is up in the air the Saints are looking to stay where they're at and it's to me it doesn't seem like they're they're sticking to their old ways of doing things. It's it stays. It, it speaks to they're okay with where they're at and they're confident in what they're doing. How their culture has, has seemed to work so far. So I'm more than anything happy that Dennis is staying because he's been really good to them. Um, but if anything, I think you can breed a, a new crop while also using the same recipe. If you know what I mean. Sebastian, are you <laughs> as a, as a Bucks fan? What are your thoughts on on the hire? On the DC, um, yeah. on the the Allen hire, I mean the the best move if you're uh, the Saints right now is to hire from within, right? Um, 
I mean, that system has worked. It's worked for a really long time. Um, as much as it draws my ire, you can't uh, debate the results. So um, going to the one part, uh, one component of the team that actually worked really damn well last year uh, and saying, hey, you're the head guy now. Run the joint. Um, can't go wrong with it. Um, I, I do think that people are disrespecting the South in general. And, and calling it the NFC East too. I mean, it's it's, it's not a, a new thing. The NFC South has always been disrespected. It's, it's always been it's always been disrespected. It's been terrible to make up for it. But this upcoming year, um, I I know for a fact that the Saints are going to get away with it again. Somehow that seventy million dollar um, cap deficit <laughs> is going to go away for another year, and it might be one hundred and twenty million next year. Who knows? Um, but they'll they'll find a way around it. They always do. Uh, structurally, that organization is very sound. It's not like any of the teams that we've discussed today, um, specifically at teams like the Dolphins, the the Texans, the the Jaguars. No, that's a that's an organization that's sound from top to bottom when it comes to having vision and direction. That team will be fine. Uh, the Bucks, more likely than not, will be fine. They've been able to draft well. Um, they drafted well last year. They drafted well the year before. Um, I'm not worried about the way the team will go in terms of the draft when it comes to free agent moves uh, and asset allocation with a um, not an impossible um, tight um, cap but you've got a you've got a lot of work to do with not a lot of space to maneuver we'll see but i think we'll be okay we won't be great but we'll be, we'll be okay william who gets back to the super bowl first new orleans or tampa objectively oh, objectively man. Well, New Orleans um, had a 15-year head start, and they didn't do a lot with it with an all-time QB, did they? Don't think they'll lock themselves in with that with Ian Book. I would say I would say the Bucks just because their window is still open. I, I think for the Saints, a ship that was sent rocking a little bit by by Sean Payton stepping down, but but Allen, um, who has been there for a long time, it can be a steadying force there. I just there's not a lot there. I understand why you retain Allen. You want to take advantage of the defensive prowess that they've been able to have success with the last few years. But to me, there's not enough offensively. Alvin Kamara could potentially be missing time. I know that's really early speculation, but but just not moving in the right direction on that side of the ball. And I I think with the Bucks, um, they're they're certainly going to go 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 whale hunting at the quarterback position. But even if they don't, I think there's a, a talented enough roster to to at least get to the playoffs and make a decent run. I didn't expect anything else, <laughs> but uh, I do think there's some good points there. I, I the Saints, they're they're a long way away from reaching the Super Bowl once again, but I I can see them putting up a fight for the NFC South. So it's going to be between those two teams, absolutely yeah. next year. So we'll, we'll we'll see, but we can kind of shift gears into the FSU hoops, and it's kind of a Debbie Downer way to end the show. I know, I know, but we have to talk about what the Seminoles are doing on the court. Currently, their last game was a loss at home against Wake Forest, so bear with us as we you know, talk about the weatherman and his brand-new appearance on the season. Um, it's, it's not looking good. Anthony Plight was out, of course, and you know, Malik Osborne's done for the season, McLeod as well. There's only so much Coach Hamilton can do, right, guys? And right now, it's, it just seems like the momentum that was gained earlier in the season is just kind of deteriorating, and with every injury, you kind of start questioning if there's any way that this team can make something respectable out of the season. Kylie, what's your read on what what the rest of the season may be looking like? 
Uh, I'm nervous. I'm nervous about the rest of the season. It was definitely evident in the game against Wake Forest what we look like without players like McLeod, Polite, and Osborne. Um, I The Wake Forest game was kind of hard to watch, I have to admit. I brought my brother out for the weekend and was like, hey, this is an FSU basketball game. Well, this isn't what I was expecting. Um, but it was... It was hard to watch, and, you know, we disagree on how to pronounce his name. But it was hard to watch Nagam down on the floor multiple times, mostly because of his own doing, because he can't throw a screen, unfortunately for him and for us. But, yeah, I mean, there's definitely going to have to be a lot of grit and a lot of resilience, as Matthew Stafford would say, um, to try and see this team in, in March Madness. Sebastian, I know this is your last year in school. Right. How I disappointing is it? Yes, indeed. <laughs> How disappointing is it to not only watch the FSC football team go out like that, but now, of course, the basketball team? If you're asking me, and are you asking me kind of a, an, as a retrospective of the past four years, or are you mean, do you mean just, just this, this year for the basketball just this team? Year? Yeah. Uh, well, the thing with basketball is that it's an accelerated turnover when you compare it to football. And I'm a football guy first. I, I came from a, a town where, where it's football first for a lot of people and then hockey second. Um, at least it is for me. Um, we, don't ha- we didn't have basketball in my market, so my basketball fandom is, is new. Um, I'm sorry that this became a retrospective. But um, I've kind of grown accustomed to the insane turnover that exists in basketball when it comes to college basketball uh, where you might get a guy that's like a one and done type deal a scotty barnes if you will um and you'll get lifelong guys uh guys that ride the bench and get their moment in the sun with like four minutes to go when you're blowing out a a team with by 20 points um so with that in mind i I really go into every single hamilton year uh with with very little expectations um i don't mostly because i don't know what to expect apart from one thing he's going to figure it out Leonard Hamilton, you can't disagree with the results. He's gotten sweet to, to the Sweet 16 round um, twice in the time that I've been here. Um, a huge win over Xavier, I remember. Um, and last year, we, we were just fine. Um, I know that I didn't come to a basketball school as much as we'd like to call it a basketball school. So I'm okay with waiting. Um, that being said, the only time that uh, FSU men's basketball makes my brain bleed is when uh, we keep th- chucking up threes when we're converting on 20% of them. And I've seen two games now where that's happened, and we've kind of lived and died by that, um, specifically the Q's game at home and the, the Wake Forest game uh, yesterday or two days ago. Um, that was a rough game to watch just because we did not have the personnel out on the court that could convert. Um, yeah, that's yeah. all I really have to William, say William, I that. mean, th- this is just going to become the little rant period for us. What's been the thing that's just kind of bothered you the most? <laughs> it, it, everything has been incredibly disappointing. You're looking at kind of an all-time slide right now, losing four straight games to mid- to lower-tier ACC, ACC teams. You go from first to seventh in the conference in a matter of just two weeks. I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty incredible dropping the games that they are. And, you, you know, you're playing Clemson on the road and Wake at home this year. 
and you're, you're kind of getting dominated down the stretch. The Knolls really a tough time closing out games in the final few minutes. I don't know if that's just a lack of a guy that can go get buckets. I know Caleb Mills has been a guy that they put a lot of pressure on to take a lot of shots every game. And you're running out of signs for optimism. Last week, me and you sat here and said, well, Malik Osborne's down. The guard, heavy guard play hasn't really been working out. But you got all these big men. And Naheem McLeod, who was awesome. And, and Tanner Nagom, who was playing really well as, uh, all, additionally. And now both of those guys are out. So, so you're really you're you're left with with close to nothing coming down the stretch on the Wyatt season. Wyatt Wilkes, right? You know, and 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 Harrison Prieto. Shout out to the weatherman <laughs> for getting his first career double double. But I mean, it's great to see, but that's not necessarily what you want. You want legitimate guys that can go get buckets and win you games. And I really just don't see anyone on this roster right now that can do that. The weatherman, man. I, I mean, that's that's where FSU basketball is at. It, it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out, but. I guess it's, it's just it's. I have to read this. A meteorology graduate student who came to Florida State because of its excellent school of meteorology at Florida State, excellent at an internship at the National Weather Service forecast office in Tallahassee during his collegiate career, appeared on the Weather Channel as a guest of Jim Cantor and the Florida State meteorology alumnus Stephanie Abrams. His nickname is the Weatherman, which he got from former former Seminole assistant coach Dennis Gates. I'm sorry, but the weatherman is like one of the coolest nicknames I've heard. It is one of the coolest it's, nicknames, and and the dude very clearly has led like an interesting life. Meteorology, like weather people, I guess. I, I don't know what you call meteorologists. You know, what you just call a meteorologist. What am I? I'm overthinking that, things. That does yeah. happen to be what you call yeah. meteorologists. Yeah, who would have thought? Do you call them uh, meteorologists? Can confirm. Yeah. Um, they lead, they lead pretty interesting lives. I mean, not everybody's going to be in the office at the Weather Channel. Uh, you get to go. You basically do what we do here in sports journalism or in um, regular news broadcasting where you go to, to some market and you get to spit the news and, and you are prime time material because everybody needs to know what the weather is. Yep. They live pretty interesting lives and, and so is he because he's he's at a D1 basketball program. He's, he's balling He's balling out he like he balling. did in that first half. And uh, at, by night, he, he covers the weather. I, I, I'm honestly pretty jealous. Uh, Basketball you know, player double by, by day. day, weather by night. Weatherman yeah. by night. Like he, he, Sounds like I'm, Batman. I'm very jealous, actually. Uh, completely More ironically. I'm very serious. Very surprised, everybody. All right, well, FSU fans are going to hope that the weatherman keeps it up for the rest of the season. But for Sebastian, for Kylie, for William, for Noah, for Scott in the booth, for myself, This has been Tomahawk Talk. You've been listening to WPS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.